Hey, hey, so uh, today I am doing something um, that I, I enjoy doing from time to time. Uh, I love the fact that you guys listen to this show, uh, but there's so many other amazing podcasts out there. And so I wanted to introduce you to a uh, one that has existed for some time, but is doing a little bit of a relaunch today. It's from my friend and uh, I guess colleague, Heather Parody. It's called The Weekly Parody, and it's all about personal development, self-help, dealing with the imposter syndrome, anxiety, and, and just putting yourself out there. And she's actually right now training for a uh, Ironman triathlon, which is a thing that people do because they're insane, and she is one of those people. Uh, and, and so she's all about putting yourself into situations that are just super uncomfortable, and that's what she covers on the show. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to play uh, an interview I actually did on the show. So she interviewed me. I'm going to play that here. And then afterwards, if you dig it, if you're into it, if you want to learn, hear more, head over to her show. It's called The Weekly Parody. Just do a quick search. And parody is spelled P-A-R-A-D-Y, The Weekly Parody. Uh, head over there and give it a listen. Thanks. You know, part of leadership is simply showing up. But how do you show up when the unthinkable happens. This week, we are talking with Greg Clunas about building a business in the midst of grief and tragedy. I've always felt and I was born with palsy. I have always felt small. I was told not to take risks. I may be blind, but I teach people how to swim. And I'm proud to be an individual. This podcast is for you, the unconventional leader. Maybe you are the one that everyone discounted. Maybe you struggle with fear and self-doubt. We are here to empower the next generation of self-starters to step up. Use their voice and make an impact in this world. You're listening to The Weekly Parody. Hey, I am so grateful for you. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. My name is Heather Parody. I am your host. And if you are new here, the purpose of this podcast is to raise up this next generation of what I call unconventional leaders. What do I mean by that? What is an unconventional leader? Well, you can hear the full spiel on episode 00, but I will spare you this time and give you the short version. Uh, there's two There's two things. Number one, I really believe that this world needs more leaders, and there's more of you out there than what you think. We need people to step up to the plate, be engaged, take responsibility for the gifts and the talents that they have and use it to make a difference in this world. Number two, why I say unconventional is I truly believe that some of the most powerful and influential people were those who come from unconventional places, who have unconventional backgrounds, who might be what you may call the underdog, but they have rose above because they've attached themselves to a bigger purpose. They have vision for something greater. So if that is you, if you feel called to lead, to make a difference in this world, world and yet you feel unconventional in your approach or maybe where you come from, this show is for you. So each week we interview unconventional leaders from all over who are approaching leadership in a unique way. And this week's guest is no exception, Greg Clunas. I connected with him almost a year ago. He's an awesome guy and has just been through a lot 
in this past year and has just built some incredible things at a fairly young age. I know he loves me calling him young, but we're going to dig into that here in a second. But you know the drill. If you have not subscribed yet, please head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and hit that subscribe button. Uh, And one more thing. Uh, Mornings. Do you get up in the morning? Are you uh, one of those morning people? I wasn't. I wasn't for a really long time. I hated mornings, uh, but I have learned the discipline and the habit of getting up in the morning because your day gets away from you, right? You say, oh, I'll read later. Oh, I'll meditate later. Oh, you know, and it doesn't happen because life is crazy. But getting up is really hard. Developing that routine is really hard. So what I did is I put together my own routine and a habit tracker, and I can send that to you for free. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes, or you can text MORNINGS with an S to 345-345, and I will shoot that over to you. And yeah, but yeah, I'm super excited about this week's guest, the host of Tiny Leaps, Big Changes, Greg Clunas. Super excited to have my friend Greg Clunas with us. Greg is a musician, a content creator, author, and entrepreneur, and he is the founder of Tiny Leaps, Big Changement, Big Changements, Big Changes, a movement of people focused on pursuing daily progress towards their goals. And he has had the pleasure of reaching 4 million plus downloads, which just makes me sick. I mean, I'm really happy for you, but that's awesome. (laughs) And 199 countries. That's insane. Uh, Most importantly, he's played a role in helping hundreds of people change their life. And his debut music project titled October 10th tells the story of a young man navigating the world, business, and life after losing his father suddenly. So that is just, first of all, crazy bio for somebody who's what, are you 25 years old? Is that uh, right? 26. Oh, you're 26. My 26. bad. I'm basically bad. Uh, in the grave. <laughs> <laughs> don't even, man. I'm turning 32 <laughs> in a few weeks. Ah. Uh, man, I don't even know. Like, There's so many different directions we can go. And I was thinking about what I wanted to talk to you about. And that's so hard picking because a, you just, you're a fountain of wisdom. Every time I listen to your show and just follow along what you're doing, you've done so much in just such a short amount of time. But one thing I just, I've just kind of decided on is I just wanted to really get to know you better and kind of your story and kind of some of the behind the scenes stuff, because obviously your bio is very impressive, uh, but there's a whole bunch of other stuff too that's just led up to that. So uh, if you wouldn't yeah. mind just kind of filling in the gaps a little bit. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting because I am one of those people and, and I always feel so like cliche saying it, um, but I'm one of those people that have wanted to, has wanted to go off on their own since they were like 12. Uh, like I was the kid. I, so for context, I was, I was born and raised for the first eight years of my life in Jamaica. And uh, I was the kid in first grade, second grade, uh, kindergarten that found pretty much any opportunity to sell something to somebody. And, and the, uh, the key memory I have is um, I'm the youngest of many siblings. And um, yeah, so I have, I have four older brothers, uh, three older sisters. And uh, there was actually a fifth older brother uh, who, who's uh, obviously born before me, but he died early in his life, like at uh, a few weeks after birth. Um, so just a ton of people. And um, yeah, there's, there's a lot. And uh, one of the cool benefits of that is that you get all of their like hand-me-down things. And uh, one of the big things I noticed in school in Jamaica was that 
a lot of my classmates, like they'd forget pencils and pens and that sort of thing on test day, which I had a plethora of because I had so many siblings that have gone through this before. And, and so I came up with this idea and, and just started selling pencils on test day. At the time, I didn't realize that what I was doing was was taking advantage of people in time of need. But uh, <laughs> I, made a, I made a good chunk of change there uh, until this one girl who needed a pencil, uh, she she didn't want to pay for it. And I told her no. And uh, she ratted me out to the teacher. And uh, in Jamaica, you're allowed to whoop kids and teachers <laughs> are allowed to whoop kids. And so I was brought to the front of the class and... Uh, they went to town. And um, so the, like, I was that kid. I, I was the wow. guy who looked for those opportunities. One of the first ones, once I got to the U.S., when I was maybe 9 or 10, uh, we just had a really bad snowstorm. And I noticed that the, like, the plows and stuff, they were primarily focused on the highways because they, like, they were struggling to keep that clear, more or less get to like my little side street that we lived on. And so I grabbed the shovel, grabbed my cousin and like went door to door, knocking on doors and like offering to shovel people's yards and, um, made like probably four or 500 bucks as like a 10 year old, uh, just shoving people's yards all day. And it like, I've, I've always wanted to do this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think, it sort of solidified for me. Uh, age 13, my brother forced me to read this book, uh, Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins. Oh, yeah. And I'm a, I, I, I go back and forth on Tony Robbins today. I was going to say, is, you don't seem like a Tony Robbins kind of guy. <laughs> he's uh, The reason I still like him is because he holds a special place in my heart as sort of the first introduction to this world. Uh, I definitely am not super into his current content, but that's a different conversation. Um, But anyway, so my brother forced me to read this book and it sort of solidified this idea of what it meant, what I've been, what I had been doing, starting a business. That wasn't a term that I like really knew when I was like 12, 13 until I read this book and it sort of solidified that as an option. And so I spent the next, I guess, 13 years trying to do exactly what I'm doing now. And, and that's, that's kind of where it started. Yeah. So of course I've had full-time jobs, but it's always been a method of survival to get to here. Uh, it's never been like, oh, I'm going to go work full time and then have this moment of awakening. Like that never happened for me because yeah. I knew I wanted to quit from the day I started, which is what makes me a terrible employee, by the way. <laughs> Whatever. So you've, you've talked about this a lot on your own show, which I encourage you guys to check it out. It's incredible. But you learned a lot of your work ethic from your dad. And yeah. What was kind of their perception when you said, hey, I don't want to take this traditional route. I want to do this on my own. I mean, I'm sure they saw that with you if you were getting whooped at school at 13 or whatever. <laughs> were they cool with it? What was their perception of it? Yeah, they never had any issue. Like I'm, I'm so blessed to have the parents I have because growing up, I had two rules. Uh, number one, I could not play video games during the week. Uh, I'm not sure why that was a rule, but it was. And number two... I had to get good grades. Hmm. Uh, And there was this sort of third sub unspoken rule of not lying. But as long as I didn't break those three, they supported anything and everything I wanted to do. So when I wanted to do art and and study art in college and spend an enormous money to do that, like they had no issues with it. When I wanted to build a business, they had no issues. Like my dad actually withdrew right after I graduated college. I was working on uh, this business opportunity at the time 
and was I needed to fly down to this conference. Did not have the funds for it. He withdrew money from his 401k, which for those of you who may not, may not know, that has serious, serious issues with doing that because you get hit with penalties. And of course, like the lack of, of money for retirement. Um, but he was that type of, of person. If he could find a way to make whatever it is you were trying to do happen, he would do it at his own uh, sacrifice. And, and so he was all in and my mom has been all in. And as long as like, I, I, I went solo back in 2000 or 2016 and fell flat on my face after a year. And, uh, never once has my mom or him, when I decided to go solo again, like never once were they like, Oh, well, do you remember what happened last time? Like, it, it's not even a mm. conversation. It's almost assumed that I'm going to make it work. Yeah. Out of curiosity, why did he go to college? For him. Really? Um, yeah, it was... I, I'm i glad that I did outside of the student loans. But at the time, I, I, I hated school. I did fine in school. I was a solid A, B student. And it was the kind of thing that school came very easily. But I hated everything about it. And um, I went to college primarily because with the sacrifices my parents made... Uh, none of my siblings, except for my older sister, uh, who's about your age, actually, uh, she graduated college, very old. Uh, she graduated <laughs> college, but uh, she did it online because uh, she, she had kids early and uh, like she just needed to find a way to do it. So they never got to attend a ceremony. And mm. for all the kids they had, I'm the only one that they got to attend like a wow. let's dress up and go watch this kid walk across the stage kind of ceremony. Um, later they got to do that for my, my sister because she ended up going back. But that was largely the motivation was with everything he's done, he, he deserves to see that he like, he's a, he is education was huge for him. He, um, he actually gave up a chance to go to college himself so that his older sister could, or his younger sister. Um, so for context, he, if you think my family's big, he grew up with like 14 siblings or 15 siblings or something insane like that. And uh, he was, I believe, the second oldest. And the uh, oldest girl, my Auntie Irma, uh, they, were, they were going to, like had the opportunity to go to school around the same time, but both of them couldn't. So he decided he's going to go work and, and so mm-hmm. that she could go. And... Um, but it's some. But he ended up teaching college. Like he ended up going back, getting his his teacher's degree, and like becoming a professor in Jamaica. And uh, it, it was a big part of it for him. So that was the big driver for me. Was this is a man that believes in education, that believes yeah. in the education system, who didn't get a chance to do it himself, and none of his kids did it sort of the traditional way. Like I've got to at least let him see that I've I've got to that I'm I'm in this position where I have the control to give him that that uh, that happiness and, and that joy. So why wouldn't I? And yeah. that was my like 17 year old brain, not thinking about the hundred k of debt that I now have to deal with. But yeah. that's, uh, that's a uh, side effect. 
Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Well, I really, I want to dig into this project you have that's dedicated towards your dad and just kind of what's happened, you know, just over the past year. Yeah. Um, but before we do that, he kind of just give us some context from, you know, you started something, you said it failed, you started something else. And I know you've had mm-hmm. a podcast before and it didn't work out and you started Tiny Leaps and it's just taken off. Can you give us just kind of a brief overview of what happened and maybe some less, just quick takeaways, the things you learned of why stuff yeah. kind of clicking now when it didn't at first. Yeah. Um, so 2016, I decided, or I guess December 2015, I decided to leave my full-time job and go off on my own. This is actually the second time that I had left. Uh, the first time was right after I graduated college. I worked at a job for about six months, quit because I'd been working in digital marketing for a while. I felt like I knew what I was doing, but I didn't have a product. I didn't have an idea. I I didn't know what to sell. I just knew I could figure it out. And so I quit and uh, moved back in with my parents and very quickly realized, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And this is so much harder than I thought it was. And and so uh, a few months later, I went crawling back to that same job and uh, they hadn't filled the role. And and so I I joined back up. Uh, Fast forward about a year that December, I quit again. And and so this is the first time that I quit and like made it a full year. And that was my goal for 2016 is I just need to stay alive for a full year. That's it. Um, And uh, that's the first mistake I made right there was my goal that I set myself was to stay alive for a full year. It wasn't about growth. It wasn't about sustainability. It wasn't about making this a real business. It was stay alive. And and so I did the bare minimum to stay alive. And I don't even mean like effort wise. I mean, charging uh, wise, price point wise, like the products I sold, it was just sort of jumping from thing to thing so that I could pay next month's rent. Yeah. And um, uh, so at the time... It's around this time that I, I had the idea for Tiny Leaps as well, which was the fourth show that I had hosted. Wow. Uh, and that was meant to just sort of be a side project. Uh, it was purely, I'm frustrated at the self-help industry and I want to create something that that counters it. And I know podcasting, so I'll do a podcast. But my business was going to be web design. I was a freelance web designer. Uh, as I, I, I launched the show January 1st, it immediately took off. So for context, in about six weeks, it had 100,000 total downloads and and it's just sort of skyrocketed since. And um, that created a lot of opportunities for me to launch and produce shows for other people. But I had no, no real... like context around this. I didn't know what, what to price it at, what people would be willing to pay. Yeah. I didn't have the the business experience to figure out the numbers I needed in order to make it actually profitable for my time and add a team and all of those things. And uh, so I, I charged whatever number popped into my head, which at the time was 500 a month for publishing uh, four episodes. We were doing all the editing, all the show notes, all the, the management. And by we, I mean I, because I right. 500 a month was not enough to pay anybody to do anything. Sure. Um, so I, I very quickly got to my show cap, which was about four. And uh, four shows at 500 a month is only $2,000. Once I pay taxes... I mean, that by itself is right. already not enough to pay for a New York City apartment, much less paying out taxes and, yeah. and all of those things. And and so, but at the time it felt like I can increase my prices. 
my, like the, the, the people aren't willing to pay more. Like the, at least the people I was serving at the time, the people who were in my network who were willing to pay me were not willing to pay more because the problem is that producing a podcast is great, but there's not that much value there. Like mm-hmm. just editing the show and publishing it, there's not that much value there. And mm-hmm. I didn't know why my show took off. And, and so I, like, I could not provide any more value than, hey, I'm going to save you time, which is fantastic, but they can get time saving right. for far less. Right. Um, and, and so where that ended was around October of 2016, I had... Uh, and I, I had identified that a client will come on, stay about four to five months, and then they'll burn out and realize podcasting is a lot harder than they thought, and they'll move on to something else. And then so five months was like the maximum that I kept a client for. Um, in October, it just so happened that that five months period ended for four of my clients at the same time. Uh, and so I got hit with overnight and I don't mean that like exaggerating I mean from let's say Tuesday to Wednesday I lost 95% of my income and that also happened to be the end of the month meaning I was supposed to have been getting paid in two days but now I have no income coming in Um, and I, I also didn't and another big mistake I didn't build protections into it meaning Hey, you need to give me X amount of notice before we sort mm-hmm. of cancel mm-hmm. the the payment. Um, and and so what that turned into was October came. I didn't have any money coming in. Uh, I had some saved, but not much because five hundred a month per for four clients isn't really that much. Uh, and 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 uh, I I just I I burned out. I could not fill the gap. So October to December, I kept trying to find new clients. But the other, and this is sort of the third big mistake I made was these clients came to me. I had no knowledge of how to actually go out and find those clients. Mm -hmm. And so unless clients were coming to me, I I couldn't refill it. And it just so happened they weren't at that time. Uh, So then November... I ended up having to borrow money from my girlfriend to pay my half of rent and those sorts of things. And that was my rule for myself was the minute I had to do that, yeah, I was out. And, and so December, I decided I'm out. I'm going to look for a job and figure this out. I'm in a shit ton of debt because uh, so much went on my credit cards. And, uh, and I, so I, I took the first job I got, which was a crappy sales job at a crappy media company with a really horrible woman. And um, hopefully she's not listening to this. <laughs> and uh, uh, it was actually a really great experience because one of the reasons I took a sales job was I realized my big issue here was two things. One, I didn't know how to go out and find customers. And two, I felt uncomfortable charging higher than what I was charging. Mm. And being forced to sell somebody else's product in a very like cold call environment where I'm asking for $80,000 contract signings made it real easy mm-hmm. in 2018 now to come back and ask for $5,000 right. or 10000 That's super easy now. Um, and, and so that's largely why it's working now is, is two things. One, Tiny Leaps took off and I, I, I now had an asset that I could use. Uh, two, because it took off, I had the same advantage I did in 2016, which is, hey, I'm really great at doing this thing. Pay me money to do it. But three, I now was not afraid to actually ask for for money 
And if somebody wasn't willing to pay that money, then finding a different audience who would rather than catering to the people who aren't. And we could have like a whole episode just on that because I think that's one of the hardest, hardest parts of having your own business is figuring out that piece of it. So, so yeah, but you know, when I first met you, you're in the midst of all this, you're growing everything. I don't know if you realize this or not. I think it was literally, um, I think it was like a week or two weeks after you lost your dad that I met you. Yeah, I remember it. And I I remember jumping on the phone with you. And you were so, um, you were so focused and you were so, you know, talking about all these ideas you had and everything. And you just mentioned that I I just lost my dad. And I thought to myself, how in the world is he keeping it together right now? Because I would be a hot mess on the floor. Um, what, can you kind of just share with us what happened and where were you mentally with your business with that? Because you haven't stopped. You haven't, I mean, you've just been going full steam. I've known you, you know, since then and worked with you. Um, can you kind of share with us about that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so my dad was a smoker. He smoked, uh, from the age of like 14 or something until his death. He was uh, 66 and, um, mm-hmm. had no real issues up until the last two or so years. Uh, so last January, uh, so January, 2017, he was complaining of having like like fluid in his lungs basically and we all thought it was pneumonia uh and uh or maybe this was march actually i don't remember but anyway we all thought it was pneumonia so he went to the doctor no big deal and uh they they saw the fluid and was like hey this might be something else let's scan it Mm. and it turned out it was lung cancer and and so from march until may we weren't certain any anything really. We weren't certain about the stage, where it was, had it spread, like any of those things. We were at for some period of time. There was still hope, like this might not even be cancer. Um, and and so as of June of last year, 2017, uh, everything's finally confirmed. It's uh, lung cancer stage two, but it had spread outside of the lungs uh, into like the fluid around the lungs. Uh, which should have made it a stage four technically, but the way they stage these things apparently makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. So I won't try and get into that because I just, I purely do not understand it. Um, But anyway, so he went on, he underwent surgery uh, in June and they cut out basically half of his lung. And uh, it was an eight hour long surgery, which I was not, so he lives upstate New York. I was in New York city. Uh, I wasn't there for my sister and my mother were. And, um, uh, he survived the surgery. Like that was in our minds, the biggest risk was he could have easily died on the, the surgeon's table. Uh, but he didn't, he, he was fine. And within two weeks, his energy was back. He was, he was walking multiple miles a day around the complex. Like he was doing amazing. Uh, then they started radiation treatment and, and they, they sort of went with radiation and chemo very aggressively. Uh, and it was fine for most of it up until the last week and the last week of treatment, uh, the radiation burned up his esophagus. And so he was having a hard time swallowing even water. And, uh, so he couldn't eat at all, like could barely get even like applesauce down. And and it, it was so frustrating because outside of that, outside of his inability to eat, which was causing weakness and confusion and all those things, he was fine. So it was purely if we can just solve this nutrition problem, like he'll, he'll start to get better and he'll be okay. Uh, and so we got a feeding tube installed and uh, that 
seemed like it could have started to solve the problem. But what ended up happening, very surprisingly, uh, he was he was doing perfectly fine. I was there that weekend. So this is now in October. Mm-hmm. I was there that weekend. I, I saw him. My fa- uh, my aunt and cousin and stuff came to visit as well. And uh, I left Sunday. He was perfectly fine. He was sitting on the bed watching the Giants. Um, Monday, apparently, he was perfectly fine. My aunt was there with him. He was laughing and like had a ton more energy. Like he was, he was doing great. Uh, Tuesday morning. I get a text from my mom. I'm, I'm on the subway. I'm, I'm heading into work. I get a text from my mom and it says, uh, daddy collapsed on the way to the hospital. And my immediate thought was no big deal. Like this kind of thing happens. Like mm-hmm. they'll get to the hospital. They'll figure it out. Like I, I had gone up to visit him in the hospital multiple times. Like this is fine. He was energetic. We're good. Um, and I tried calling her just on a hunch and I'm still in the subway. So I lose the call. So I'm sitting there for the next 30 minutes, like anxious, like not sure, like, like, is this something like my mom is texting me about it now. And she was crying when I called, like something's going on. So I get out, I call her immediately and she's not in her right mind. Like she's screaming at the top of her lungs. She's she's screaming. He's not breathing. He's not breathing. Uh, And so I, I sprint from where I am up to my office. I tell my boss, I let them know I'm leaving. Uh, I, I run from there catch the next train. I, I get to Grand Central and th- I kid you not, the train is leaving in one minute to get upstate. And I am probably a 10 minute walk away. Um, and, and so I just sprint, not like I, I knocked people over. Like I actually feel really bad. I wish I could apologize to these people, but I, I run directly into people and, and somehow make it right as the doors close. Jesus. I get on the train, sit down and um, and that's it. I'm 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 sitting there, and my phone rings. It's my sister calling. I'm like, okay, like she's calling to update me. Like, mommy's just probably too upset. And she gets on the phone in in this like soft voice, and she says, "I'm sorry, he didn't make it." And I'm sitting on this train. This, this conductor is walking by to take the tickets, and he's like trying to joke with me because he sees I have a, a like a sad look on my face and I just like give him this like stare and he like clams up real fast and like walks away. And, um, Mm. and I get up to go to the bathroom and, and somehow I got on the same train that my aunt also got on. So I like am walking to the bathroom and see her sitting there. And as soon as I see her, I break down crying. Like that's when it like hit me. Uh, so she gives me a hug. Anyway, fast forward from the train. I get to the hospital, walk in, see his body. My whole family's there. We're at the hospital for about eight, nine hours. Uh, get back to the house, start planning the funeral. I take a sales call that night. And, and so this sort of brings us to the part of the conversation that, that you get involved with. Um, you asked me... <laughs> why was I able to do that? And how did I not just shut down immediately? And I think there's two big reasons. One, it hadn't really hit and uh, it still hasn't largely. Uh, obviously, it hits from time to time. I have my my breakdowns and there have been multiple times where I'm randomly standing in the kitchen. I have a picture of him on my fridge and I'll just collapse out of nowhere crying for some strange reason. Uh, but the other side of it is I tried to navigate everything that happened afterwards with the question of what would he prioritize in this moment? Uh, Because he was a very emotional person. Like 
growing up, he was the first to cry over him and my mom. Like if you ever saw my mom crying, you knew shit was really fucking happening. Um, but like if he was crying, it's like, okay, just another day kind of thing. Um, but he was also a very hardworking, very, like he, he was the type of person that, uh, to, to give you some context on it last father's day, uh, he had been diagnosed. He knew that what he was going to have to do with the surgery and stuff, he knew he'd have to get out of work. And, uh, I was up there for father's day to see him and I wanted to take him out and like take him and my family out and like pay for everything. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes saying that he couldn't because he was going to have to stop working soon and he needs to, to like be there. Um, and it like hit me this Father's Day that, that 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 like that memory popped back up. But that was the kind of person he was. Is it wasn't because he didn't want to spend time with his family. It wasn't because he didn't love us, or it wasn't even because he was so passionate about his job. It was because he knew what needed to happen to get us to the place we were trying to go. Like he knew what sacrifices had to be made, and he made them regardless of of how he felt about it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I I tried to do that and, and sort of emulate that and create the space for my mom and sister who not that they're any more close to him than I am, but they lived with him. So this entire process, they were experiencing day to day, whereas I was experiencing sort of on a week by week or every other week basis. And, and so I wanted to create space for them to mourn and for them to grieve. And, and in addition to that, it hit me very quickly that out of the two, my mom and my dad, my dad made the most money. Uh, he, my mom actually doesn't make much, very much at all. And so losing his income, mm-hmm. he had savings and of course, life insurance and all of those things, but eventually that's going to run out and she's only getting older and his income isn't there anymore. And I knew that I needed to get to a place by the time it ran out where I could support her or at least help in some way. Because if I knew that that was going to happen and I took that time to mourn in that moment, I'm basically saying, hey, I'm okay with her running out of money and me not being able to do anything. Yeah. And that's not the healthiest way of reacting. Like I've 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 talked in therapy about this. Like I've I've started to work through it, but that was how I needed to react in that moment. So the reason I could take that sales call that night, the reason I could jump on a call with you when we first met and uh be very focused on the business was purely because I knew that at some point this was going to hurt less. And if I stopped between now and then, I would make no progress. Hmm. But if I kept pushing through, when I get to the place where it doesn't hurt as much, where it's not as painful as it is now, when I get to that place, I'll be in a completely different place career-wise, income-wise, all of the things that allow me to step in for him and and take care of his family and and do the things that I know he would want me to prioritize. Um, And and that's, that's everything that it was. It was... 100% 100% denial and 100% I need to make something happen here. Yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're not in a very uh, easy industry for being able to keep it together because it's a bunch of heart and soul stuff. I mean, you're in the self-help world. You're about, you know, improving people's internal world and their mental world and all that. How are you able to, or how have you been able to produce content on a regular basis? That's very, um, yeah emotionally involved. It's not like something, you know, like tech or something that you can talk about. How are you able to produce content and stay in the game that way? You see, I think I'm very lucky in that, uh, for the first week or two, I didn't actually create content. The one thing I did do was 
my aunt suggested. Uh, the day after he passed, I went on the microphone and recorded the first of a series called Losing a Loved One, mm-hmm. uh, which is purely like no intro, no production, no editing, which is purely I'm talking on a microphone and that's it. And uh, after that, I didn't publish for maybe two weeks. Uh, beyond that, content's been the easiest part. And I, I, I'm not really? sure why that is. I think purely because the way that I structure my show is that I don't need to be an expert. I don't need to be mm-hmm. the person who is happy and positive and, and it, it doing incredible in life. Like I am purely sharing my personal experiences or sharing the things I've read or researched or, or seen or the way that I think about the world or new thoughts that pop into my head as I consume other things. Like I'm purely sharing the student's perspective on improving the quality of your life. And that means being able to either get very emotionally attached to it and create or being able to detach from it completely and deal with things from a very like uh, sterile point of view. Mm-hmm. Meaning if I'm talking about goal setting, there is a right and wrong way to do goal setting. My emotions don't have to be involved with it at all. Uh, if I'm talking about a specific thing I'm dealing with, then my emotions get involved, but it's particular to that specific idea. It's yeah. around my finances or my relationship or, or whatever it is. Yeah, that makes sense. So moving forward, you have, you're venturing off into doing something a little bit different than most people know you as, as the podcaster and the business coach and all that. Can you tell us about your new project? Yes. So uh, between you and me, I'm venturing off into doing a lot of things very differently. Um, As I mentioned before, I, I'm very frustrated with the self-help industry Uh, because to me, there is no value in uh, motivating people by being motivating Hmm. or by building a business about building businesses or Hmm. in uh, like there, there's just no value add in your entire thing being packaged into telling people how great they are. Hmm. Um, and that works for some people and some people are incredibly happy by it. And I know that there are people out there who find value in it. Otherwise, people wouldn't attend Tony Robbins seminars and, and those things. For me, it doesn't work. I'm not happy doing it. I'm not, I do not enjoy being that thing. And that's why I launched my show in the way I did in the first place. Yeah. And, and so from my point of view, if I'm going to motivate someone, if I'm going to inspire someone, if I'm going to create change in somebody's life, it needs to be packaged in something else. It needs to be, I'm pursuing my own goals or I'm doing something that is, is seen to be impossible or I, I'm achieving things that is then what is giving me the lessons and the experiences that allow me to say the things I say that are motivating or that are inspiring. Um, and I think that approach, because the other big issue is the people who consume self-help are the people who are searching for self-help, which are the people who have already consumed self-help. They're doing great. Valid. Uh, the people who don't consume self-help who aren't doing great are the people we need to be reaching out to. Yeah. And you don't reach them by saying, hey, watch the self-help thing because they, they specifically filter that out. They don't want to hear it. Yeah. So why is it that uh, for many people... 
looking at the story of a pro NFL player who struggled as a kid and made it to NFL is far more inspiring than anything Tony Robbins will ever do when he's trying to be inspiring because they're not looking to be inspired. They're looking to connect with a person which who is doing a thing they admire and through that connection and through that person's story and the things they needed to do to get to that place, then they can be inspired. Uh, so suffice it to say, what I want to do is create... One, I personally want the freedom to be able to create the things I want to create and, and that obviously bring value. Uh, but second... I want tiny leaps and uh, this entire inspirational, motivational side of me to be fueled by something. And that something, I'm not entirely sure what that that ends up being. Uh, I I think I'm still pretty young and have time to figure it out. But what I do know, and this is what I talk about on the show, is the way you figure it out is by trying a lot of different things. And, And I'm lucky enough that I'm this age in a period where everything and anything is monetizable. If yeah. I was an amazing knitter, I could make 100K knitting all day long. Yeah. Um, and, and so let's transition from there to, to this music project. Uh, that largely wasn't even meant to be something that I was considering pursuing. It was purely... Uh, so it's called October 10th. And that's because that is the date that my father passed away last year on October 10th. And it will be released on October 10th of this year. And... Um, the point of it was, t- I thought, to do something cool. Um, as I've been working through it, I've realized that it's something I needed to do. Uh, so it's it's five songs. Uh, the first is more of an intro, but it's it's sort of that feeling I had on day one, which is okay. My dad's gone. I need to suit up for combat and and get to work and make this happen so that my mom's okay. Uh, second song is more about being pissed off at everyone and everything in relation to this because there were so many mistakes that should not have happened that would have changed the outcome here. Uh, and we were actually considering uh, for some time going with a medical malpractice suit. The only reason we chose not to is because my sister would have to be the one who spearheaded it. And she chose not to want to go through that for the next 10, 20 years without ever getting any sort of an answer, um, which I, I agree with. Uh, second song is is about sort of this mental break that I've had in the last year where I go back and forth between feeling like I am in an alternate universe and if I could just somehow find the, the doorway to my old universe, then I could get back to when things made sense um, and, and just sort of the, the mental side that, that comes with that. And uh, the fourth song is about uh, the last words he said to me, uh, which is the last words he always said to me whenever I left home was stay safe. He, he was very cautious of the crazy people in New York City who like push you off subway tracks and, and that sort of thing. And um, he said that exact same thing to me Sunday. Like, no, not, not a big deal. Uh, just so happened that that was the last thing that he said to me. And, and so that song is called Stay Safe. And it's, it's sort of like a... Uh, conversation between myself and and him and uh the last song is called watch me and it's it's purely to him asking him to sort of watch me do all the things that he always knew that i could do uh and and so it's it's been very healing and it's been very that song stay safe i like i 
I can't work on it for more than 30 seconds without starting to cry. So it's taking a really long time to actually write it. Uh, But as I've been going through it, it, a lot has been coming up for me that I don't think I would have been able to work through without it. So that was primarily the reason I was making it. And because I'm a content creator, I can't do anything that doesn't go out into the world. So it's going out into the world. I love it. I love it, Greg. Uh, For our last question, first of all, thank you so much for sharing. sharing. I learned so much about you. I feel like I know you very well and I'm just always learning so much. So thank you for sharing that. Um, Where can people... Do what? I was going to say, did you know that I'm also a gamer? I didn't know you were a gamer just because I saw it on Twitter. Yeah. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. 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 But we won't talk about that because that's bumping you down cool points. But anyway, uh, (laughs) where can people connect with you online? Best thing for you to do uh, before you connect with me, wherever you're listening to this, do a search for Tiny Leaps, Big Changes. Listen to two episodes. They're very short, uh, between eight and 25 minutes. And, um, I'd listen to any two, they're sort of a range of topics. So pick whatever jumps out at you. And then after you've done that, find me on two places, Instagram at Greg Clunas or Twitter at Greg Clunas. Uh, find me, send me a tweet, send me a DM, make a comment, whatever it is. I just want to hear your honest opinion of the show. The only way that I get to improve it and uh, take it to the next level is by hearing directly from you. And and so take that time, listen to it before you connect with me and then reach out to me and just let me know your thoughts. Love it. Love it. Okay. So this final question, uh, it's not my normal staple in question, but it just came up for me and I wanted to ask it to you. Um, I actually just had a friend who he has a small business and he's young guy, he's married, he's, you know, the provider of his family and he just tragically lost his mom. Uh, And so, you know, he's kind of in that same space where he has to keep his head down and work and focus because money has to come in and he's a big vision on his heart to do some really big things. And while you were talking, I just kept remembering his face and I was thinking about how many other people are out there who are kind of in that stuck position where they need to they don't have the luxury of just taking a bunch of time off or, you know, maybe they don't want to, maybe the stuff that they're working on is super important to them, but they're going through hell personally. And there's a whole bunch of crap happening. Can you speak into that and just maybe give some advice or wisdom that you've gathered over the past few months? Yeah, it's, it's the hardest thing you'll ever have to do. Um, It's, it's one of those things where I was always terrified of it happening because my, my father had a, a super long commute every day. He drove about an hour and a half on busy highways at night to, to get to and from work and had almost been run off the road multiple times. And so I always sort of had in the back of my head, like he's going to die on the road one day and I'm going to get a call when I wake up. Um, and so every morning I'd wake up and, and I talk about this and stay safe. Like every morning, the first thing, check my phone with like panic in my heart, like thinking something must have happened last night. Um, And then when it finally happened, two really interesting things happened. One, it was uh, simultaneously less bad or rather less hard than I thought it would be Hmm. while also being the hardest thing I've ever dealt with. And um, I think in that, is sort of where the answer lies, which is to first recognize that this is the hardest thing you're ever going to have to do. But humans have a really interesting ability to adapt and Mm -hmm. to deal with things like this. 
we struggle with death and we struggle with loss and it doesn't make any sense from a logical point of view, but from an emotional and, and sort of like gut reaction point of view, uh, we shift based on our current circumstances very quickly. And, and so even to this day, I, I have these moments where it's hard for me to remember what it was like for him to be there because my day-to-day is him not being there. And that scares the crap out of me because yeah. I don't want that to happen. But it does start to happen. And, and so the advice I would give is have good people around you have people that that either recognize what you're going through or at least are willing to sit and listen to what you're going through. Uh, Take breaks when you need them. It doesn't matter if you make another dollar, if you also lose your mind along the way. Uh, So of course, like take care of your family, do what you need to do. But during this moment, unless you feel like you can do it, I wouldn't push much further than bare minimum. Uh, and then the third thing is to just know and, and have that faith that it does get a lot easier and does hurt a lot less. And it happens much sooner than you think it will. And when it does, you'll still have moments where you feel like somebody's stabbing you in your heart over and over again. And it'll just sort of come up out of nowhere. But your day-to-day like normal life starts to come back. And, and it has to, because otherwise, if we all lost people and lost our minds immediately because of this question of, well, what happened? Where are they? Like, why aren't they in my life anymore? Uh, humanity would have never been able to evolve to the level that we are at. And, and so just be confident in your ability and every human's ability to process and deal and get to a place of, I'm okay. Big thank you to Greg Clunas for being on today's episode. You can check him out at gregclunas.com. And of course, his awesome podcast, Tiny Leaps, Big Changes, is over on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Real quick before you go, if you are looking for a community of unconventional leaders, head over to Facebook and type in unconventional leader in the search bar. And there is a group there where we have weekly challenges and just spur one another on to making a difference in this world. So definitely be sure to connect with us there. Love you guys. I'm in your corner and I'll see you in a few days. So that's it. Remember, if you're into this, if you loved this episode, she's got a ton of other great interviews with some amazing people. Do a quick search in wherever you're listening to this for the weekly Parody. That's P-A-R-A-D-Y, the weekly parody. Uh, give her some love. Head over there, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts, and uh, reach out to her. Let her know that I sent you because the Leapster Squad is the strongest podcast squad on the net. And you guys are about to blow up her DMs, blow up her email, blow up whatever way you're able to get in touch with her. And uh, she's going to deliver some amazing content over the lifetime of this show. So uh, check it out, the weekly parody. And I will see you tomorrow for the regularly scheduled episode. Peace.